Kelsey alone on the right. Coming across to the left. On the run, Kelsey. Kelsey, touchdown! The hat trick! So, the NFL standings right now are kind of hilarious. Because sitting atop their respective divisions are a bunch of teams that we don't really trust. Right? The Seahawks, the Vikings, the Eagles, the Bucks, the Titans, the Ravens, the Dolphins. I mean, let's be honest about this. But then, astride the AFC West for the seventh straight season, apparently, are the Kansas City Chiefs. The Kansas City Chiefs who just beat the Chargers on the road because of course they did. They always do. And so today, we ask a quarterback who knows Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey as well as anyone to explain what he saw from a couple of his old teams on Sunday and what all of us get wrong when it comes to coaching. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Monday, November 21st. This is ESPN Daily. So, Alex Smith, it is uh, almost midnight here on the East Coast. You are in Hawaii because you know <laughs> how to live your best life, especially during Thanksgiving week. So what's it like on an NFL game day where you are? You just like wake up and you start watching games at like 7, 8 a.m.? That's exactly right, Pablo. We wake up and football is on. It's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, obviously fortunate to be out here, but that it is it is. <laughs> Awesome in that regard, and I literally uh, had the game on outside, and like the sun was setting, and uh, it was pretty ridiculous, pretty lucky. But yeah, woke up this morning and immediately uh, started with football. Yeah, yeah. I mean the 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 day that you've had, it started off like the thing that you shouldn't have woken up early for, right? I mean, we got a bunch of no doubt, <laughs> a bunch of. Sh- man some bad there was some bad ball there was some bad football and yes. all all due respect all due disrespect to patriots jets and ravens panthers and all of that it, it ended though with the sun setting over the pacific ocean and patrick mahomes just doing the thing that's about as predictable as a sunset at this point man i mean look you have a unique vantage point on this We talk to you about the Chiefs and we dive into your head and we ask you about the guy who was your backup and the offense that you ran and the tight end that you threw touchdowns to. And I'm just curious what you were thinking this time as, yeah, Patrick Mahomes gets the ball and it's a minute 46 left and they are trailing the Chargers. Yeah, I mean, first off, you said it, right? Like today had kind of been a dud fest and... Uh, the NFL did, you know, save the best for last, right? The 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 must watch TV, which is Chiefs Chargers and Mahomes Herbert, right? They have they have just every time they play, it seems like it comes down to this kind of scenario. And for me, I, I was it kind of transported me back to Kansas City practices because we ended practices there so often with exactly this. There's so much situational football that gets practiced mm. and. Almost every practice in camp and throughout the season during the work week, I can just hear Coach Reed yelling out the scenario, you know, a minute 46, 
two timeouts. The ball's at the 25. You need, you're down four. You know, you, you got to score a touchdown. And, you know, for me, when I, if I were to hear those, you know, that scenario, I'd be like, all right, we got two timeouts, you know, a decent amount of clock. And it's so funny. And then I hear it and you're like, oh, well, Patrick, <laughs> it's, uh, this isn't even going to be close. This is too much time, too many timeouts. Dude. And, and like, sure enough, it was like three plays, and all of a sudden they're kind of in striking distance, and it, they didn't even use the timeout yet. And it, no, uh, they just make it look so easy. And again, you you said it. It's like I, we we've just grown so accustomed to seeing Patrick come through in these scenarios. And I think I I don't want the listeners out there to forget how hard this is. Like how hard it is to do what he does in these situations that that on the road. This Chargers defense had been playing great all night. Pass rush had been getting there. And again, he's missing. Juju Smith-Schuster's not in. He'd missing a couple of weapons. I mean, yes, he's throwing the ball to Kelsey, but he's also throwing it to Justin Watson and Jody Fortson and Noah Gray. I mean, these guys are like, you know, where did they come from? Where were they getting right. them? Right. And he just marches them down the field. And he just, he, he really is special. And I think it's funny. I hear these like MVP conversations Right, we've had them. And certainly this year there are a ton of candidates and deserved ones. And for some reason, I, I always feel like we we just forget to mention Patrick. Yeah, no, it, it's we we we've spent we spent months looking for someone not named Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, yeah. We looked at Josh Allen, we looked at certainly uh Jalen Hurts most recently. Yeah. We looked at Justin Herbert. Yep. For a while. And even, even in this game, right? Just to like recap how the Chargers made this as exciting as it was before we unpack the drive that Mahomes made about as easy as, you know, pushing on pushing down on his toaster. Like Justin Herbert hits Joshua Palmer for the go-ahead touchdown. And this is like the culmination of a 10-play, 64-yard drive. And again, they show blitz. And again, they bring it. Herbert lets it fly. And zone caught. Touchdown. Touchdown, Chargers. And when you're seeing that, what are you thinking to yourself? Because Justin Herbert himself has been a guy who's had an up-and-down experience since he was sort of crowned the next great thing. Well, yeah. And, and he's the one guy that consistently, I feel like, has gone blow for blow with Patrick you know, since they've been in the league together and has always just been one-upped at the last minute by Patrick, like just consistently. <laughs> and Justin Herbert has this quality where he just seems like he doesn't back down, right? And today it was like, here we go again. And you wondered, I wondered, you know, is is this the time he gets them? Is this the time he, you know, he gets the Chargers over the top? If they would have won this game, they pull within a game of the Chiefs, right? This division all of a sudden now is back wide open for the Chargers. Yep. And a couple plays before that, he hits a third and 18 to Keenan Allen. I mean, again, a third and 18. I don't know what the odds of, of converting in the NFL are on, on a third and 18, but they're pretty slim. And he hits this just huge goal ball down the sideline that puts him in scoring position, which then he, he caps off with the ball to Palmer. And you wonder, did he finally, did he finally get him, right? Did he finally best uh, Patrick? Uh, and the Chiefs, and and again, like it's just uh, it's uh, how, how it, it it lasted about you know thirty seconds, <laughs> um, you know before Patrick marched him down it again really in, in the scoring position. It was about like barely a commercial break of like 
Wow, what a drive. And then and then okay, so let's get to let's get to the drive because what did you see? You 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 said that in practice you guys would do situational preparation. Yep. yep. Like 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 this. But what did you see specifically tonight in terms of how they executed? Yeah, I mean, I think if you were to 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 grade it it would be obviously uh you know, A plus. The first thing we always talk about in Kansas City when you start in a two minute drill is start with a completion, any completion, right? And and there was this concept of applying pressure to the defense. You know, you combine that with the up tempo, and all of a sudden plays kind of emerge. And and you saw that tonight. They opened up with a completion, and and then they got rolling. I think the next play was a scramble, and it's like that. That's that's the kind of thing that just happened. And all of a sudden. Uh, with Patrick, exactly that. It was like three plays, and they had chunked it down the field. And and that's such a common coaching point there is, again, just that get the first completion, get the ball rolling, get the momentum going. It happens so fast. Apply the pressure to the defense. And obviously, he does it better than anybody. Again, fun to watch. Don't take it for granted, though. That's all. I, I mean, I just kept – he made it look so easy, and it's well, really – obviously, it's, uh, it's, it's not beyond the road. Uh, doing what he did against a good football team, a division opponent that knows them very, very well. And then again, doing it with a cast of characters that's that's not his his normal group. So, Well, the one guy who is in that cast. Oh, yeah, that guy. Oh, that, that guy. guy. The guy that we that have guy. praised on this show before, but Travis Kelsey. That, that, that catch, the game winner, the third touchdown of the game that he scored with 31 seconds left. To win this thing, I mean, everyone else was injured, as you said. No Tyreek Hill. All of that has changed except for him. What did you see on that play? What did that remind you of? What, what was in what was in your uh, what was coming to mind? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's um, you know we we've talked about Travis on the show and and how special he is. I think he continues to set records. You know, had another hundred yard game, add into his record setting career total for a tight end but i loved watching all night him and derwin james go at it you know yeah man if you could if you could build a player to try and stop travis kelsey it would look something like derwin james right just like this incredibly long strong athlete that can still run with him in these moments kind of obviously a hybrid between a safety and a linebacker yes and that's what derwin james is and just incredibly competitive and you know, you kind of saw it through the night how savvy Travis is. He kind of got away with a push off earlier in the night on a big third down and then got the call late in the game on a defensive holding, right? When when Derwin kind of came back and, and tried to play physical with him and, and got the defensive holding call, which, you know, obviously moved the chains on a critical third down. And then this, you know, trying to cover Travis across the field. And Trav just does such a great job. He really kind of set up Derwin on his release and then just pure speed running away from him. I mean, is is Travis Kelsey, just to put it plainly here, is he the greatest who has ever played that position to you? I I do think so. I don't think it's that close. I'm obviously, I'm, I'm going to be openly biased about this since I played with him. Um, but I think when you just look at the numbers, uh, the consistency, how long he's done it now, um, I, I, I do. He's, he's uh, I think he's kind of in a class of his own. And he's not done. I mean, at this point, like the craft, the intelligence, like that stuff seemingly can age for for at least a couple more years as he continues to build out this career. But back in the present tense, I guess, what does the balance of power look like to you, Alex, in the AFC? 
It's a great question. I certainly think, again, we, we, we've grown a little numb to what Kansas City and Patrick are doing. And I think so often we just kind of, they've set the bar so high for themselves. And when they, we, we think they haven't, you know, met what they were doing, you know, in the last several years, like we, we somehow it's hard to get excited about them. You know, um, I do think, again, in the AFC, uh, they're at the top of the list. Uh, they, they, they have to be. But certainly the AFC field is much deeper, much more competitive. Um, and I think they know that. On the NFC side, I think it's wide open. I certainly think what the Cowboys did today to the Vikings uh, speaks to that. And it'll be fun to see, I think, who can get hot. There's certainly some teams, you know, Niners tonight on Monday Night Football got some momentum going. Washington's got some momentum. There, there are some teams, I think, that if they can get hot come the back half of the season could make a run on the NFC side. Yeah, but there's only one team that feels like a movie that I've watched before <laughs> and and in a good way. But after the break, we get to a team that was so bad that they had to take them off television. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Alex, I don't remember the last time you saw disrespect <laughs> like the disrespect visited upon Cowboys Vikings. When was it the third quarter when CBS just cut away entirely and said, hey, here's Steelers uh, Bengals instead. You don't need to watch this thing anymore. I couldn't believe when they did it, Pablo. <laughs> I mean, like we'd had... You know, when I'm, you know, all week looking at the games and matchups and like, hey, trying to identify the good, you know, the, the good games of the week, right? The ones we're going to talk about. And here's certainly two playoff football teams, big NFC matchup. This is like, this is the one I had circled, right? <laughs> and in the third quarter, I couldn't watch it. Couldn't find it. Nope. Couldn't get it on my Sunday ticket because it was blacked out. CBS had cut away on the main broadcast. It had just vanished. A 40 to three blowout in the end. And as you said, right, like this was the game that I was supposed to really watch closely, pour over with a fine tooth comb because there was this question of like, I think we're taking the Vikings seriously now. Yep. And and now how do you take the Vikings? Well, it's so funny, right? We, we, I mean, all last week singing the praises of the Vikings, they go to Buffalo and steal a hard fought game from one of the best teams. The game of the one year. One of the best teams in the NFL. We're all singing their praises. We're finally taking them for real, right? And on the flip side of that coin, the Cowboys had fallen off every single one of them, right? They, they went to Green Bay and kind of got manhandled a little bit. I mean, I know it was an overtime game, but Green Bay ran for over 200 yards, kind of pushed them around. Mm -hmm. And what happened to the Dallas Cowboys? And man, what a difference. <laughs> a week makes this was as lopsided a game i think i i can remember watching between two good football teams as i would call these i think we can say yes. call them two good football teams and uh, it was not even close i mean i i felt so bad for Kirk cousins in this game <laughs> and i don't think i've ever said that <laughs> before 
12 of 23 for 105 yards, zero touchdowns. And I feel like that doesn't tell the story in full of your empathy for him. He threw for 100 yards. He gave up 50 yards in sacks, Pablo. He got sacked <laughs> seven times for minus 50. The Dallas front, right? They took a lot of ridicule. Micah Parsons, kind of where did he go last week? We hadn't called his name in a while. What happened to this Dallas defensive front? And man, they were having a party in the Vikings backfield over the top of Kirk Cousins. And then on the flip side of that, Dallas's offense, man, Tony Pollard has been absolutely electric. I think today he had like 20 touches for 200 yards. I mean, he's literally almost like 10 yards a touch today. He leads the NFL in yards per carry, yards after contact. He has just really been a difference maker these last few weeks. It's weeks after Jerry Jones had said, we go as Zeke goes. We yep, go as yep. Ezekiel Elliott, our, our ostensible star running back goes. And here's Tony Pollard actually being the number one guy. Yep. And and a credit to, to Zeke and the role he's taken. I mean, today he they put him in and goal line and short yardage. Yeah, and he touchdowns. was unstoppable. He was unstoppable in those situations today. Every third every third and short as well, I saw he pushed the pile, converted two goal line situations. He went two for two. And I think when you see that, and this was kind of what everybody got to, right? That this was kind of the recipe that they were winning with with Cooper Rush. And it looked even better today with Dak, right? They ran the football. The play action pass was was ridiculous. I think Dak threw the ball for like 11 yards an attempt, which for everybody out there is absurd in the NFL. You know, seven, seven and a half is kind of the benchmark for, for good. I mean, he's throwing it for 11 yards an attempt. For anybody that was counting them out, I mean, that was a, quite the performance today. They look as good as anybody in the NFC. I mean, I, I think it's going to have everybody talking, certainly Stephen A., uh, the rest of the week. <laughs> yeah, I can hear him. I can hear him uh, <laughs> from here, honestly, yeah. at this point. But hold on, because the Vikings, right? Like, this was their largest home loss since 1963. Kirk Cousins, as you alluded to, had never faced as much pressure as a matter of percentage than he did today. And I'm just wondering what that locker room is like. Like, I assume you've played in a game, maybe not this ugly, but ugly, what does it feel like when you walk in there after you sat through something like this? I think if, if you're, you know, if you're Kevin O'Connell, you steal one from your former head coach, Bill Belichick. This is an, this is an on to Cincinnati kind of post-game press conference. I think you flush this one as quickly as possible and keep the momentum that you've built all season moving along. There's not going to be a lot to learn from on this one. I imagine that you go and you have to like, you know, the eye in the sky is going to ask you some questions, right? No, you're shaking no, your head. No. no, burn it. I'm burning. Yeah, I'm burning this film tape. I'm not even showing it to the team. I, we are we are moving on to go watch film and watch watch yourself get your ass kicked. It <laughs> certainly sometimes can be even more demoralizing to watch it back. Right. So no, I would I would. Uh, I would certainly bypass that and keep it moving to whoever they're playing next week. Yeah, they got they got uh, the Patriots on Thursday. Yep. On to, to bring, the Patriots. There we go. Finally, on to New England. The metaphor becomes a full circle experience. But we go now to the Washington Commanders, your old team, Alex, because this is film that, that they may just want on a loop for a little bit because what they have done is enter the playoff picture. They are six and five. They started off one and four. They beat the Texans 23 to 10. So tell me what you are seeing from your old team. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's uh, 
quite a few different variables that go into this. That certainly the turnaround in Washington. For one, they've gotten they've gotten healthy, right? They got Brian Robinson Jr. back. They got Jahan Dotson back. They got Logan Thomas back. Certainly, they've been playing better on the defensive side of the ball. They've had a commitment to the run game. But all those things aside, Pablo, there's one big difference, and his name is Taylor Heineke. And, and that's it. <laughs> Your old backup. Your old yep. backup is now is now the guy. Yeah, and, and uh, there's a lot that goes into that with Taylor, right? I mean, we... I could list you as stats on the season and they are about as average as they get Correct. Uh, for an NFL quarterback. So I'm not going to do that, <laughs> but there is something with Taylor and there's, this goes for all quarterbacks and, and locker rooms. There is something that when he takes the field for that team, that every other guy in that locker room believes they have a chance and you see the entire team play better because of it. And this is not a slight against Carson Wentz, who just got traded. He's brand new to the team. I saw this firsthand when Taylor started the playoff game against the Bucs a couple years ago, right? Mm-hmm. He's a tremendous athlete. For anybody out, out there thinking that he's not, uh, they're mistaken. This guy, you know, yes, he went to Old Dominion, but this guy won the Walter Payton Award, which is the, the, that version of the Heisman. I mean, this guy has a lot of abilities, incredibly athletic. But I do think it, it goes to something bigger, that this— he thought the opportunity had passed him by, right? He had been incredibly unlucky early on in his career with injuries and missed opportunities and found himself out of the NFL and sleeping on his sister's couch. <laughs> and he thought his career was over. I mean, this is a guy that, that literally was looking to get into coaching. And my last year in Washington, we needed a COVID quarterback. And Taylor happened to know the offense. And so we, we brought him on off the couch to be this COVID quarterback who had to distance himself from us. He right. sat in the back corner. He sat in the back corner of the room. The designated survivor role in case everything yep. went wrong totally. in the State of the Union. There was Taylor Heineke to rescue you. Totally. And again, he got one more opportunity that he never thought he would get. And, and I just say all this to sum up that Taylor plays the game the way it's supposed to be played. What does that mean? What does that, what does that, what does that mean? He leaves it all out there, right? Like I, I played, I'm very open about this. I played for a long time just with a ton of anxiety and, and trying not to screw up, right? Like early on in my career, <laughs> I was the number one pick and I went out there and I was terrified to make a mistake. I, I played incredibly apprehensive and it's not the fact that I didn't want it. I almost wanted it too bad and I was too wrapped up in my own dis thoughts and distracting myself, right? And worried about what other people are thinking. Mm. And Taylor, I think just everything that he had been through Man, this is a guy, again, playing every every single game like it's his last. YOLO energy. And it's very real. I mean, it is genuine. Yeah, we saw that post-game when Heineke was asked about finally being named the starter. Ron Rivera this weekend confirming you're the guy going forward because you've earned it. What is that like for you after this crazy journey you've had? That yeah, means a lot. You know, I've worked so hard for this opportunity and... Uh, you know, it's a, it's a dream come true. So um, every week I just approach it like it's my last week playing and um, try to have fun with it. So again, we just won five out of the last six. Guys are rolling. Guys are confident. Uh, it's a really fun time to be in that locker room right now. A bit emotional for you. Yeah. You know, it's again, I've been dreaming about this my whole life. So um, just kind of see it come full circle with, you know, the last two, three years, kind of what I've been through. Um, you know, it's, it's a blessing. So um, again, I just want to keep working hard and, and, and keep this thing rolling. It's been fun to watch. Uh, he's an incredible story and, and, again, a competitor. You just see it. You see it every single – I mean, this is the guy that, again, <laughs> I, 
I'm sure he I'm sure he pissed off a lot of Eagles fans last week when he celebrates the roughing the passer call, right? Like <laughs> but this that's just who he is. He's gonna celebrate it all. Like that's just who he is. And uh it's really made a difference with this team. It sounds like you're having like almost too much fun watching this team. You were literally on the bandwagon as its quarterback. Yep. And now you get to be like the ambassador. I, look, we've talked about the serious stuff around this team, Dan Snyder and all of that. But the fact that this story is so fun. Yeah. The team is so fun. I can only imagine how much you're enjoying this. Yeah, listen, this is a great locker room. It's a great core of guys to see kind of Taylor step up. And not just his individual story and what it embodies, but certainly kind of this whole team is they have endured a lot right off the field. We've talked about it. And to see him kind of trying to, you know, persevere through it. I'm so pumped for those guys right now. And and obviously, hopefully they can kind of continue to build off this. We'll be right back. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So one of the biggest stories in the NFL, Alex, has been a controversial and infuriating one, depending on what your job is in the world of football. Because Jeff Saturday, the interim head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, was our former colleague. He got hired to that job despite never coaching in college, never coaching in the pros. He only coached in high school, actually. And... People were mad. I mean, I don't want to even relitigate this now because the fury was so omnipresent. Rex Ryan was irritated. It's so disrespectful to every single coach that has actually been in this league. Joe Thomas, the former Browns offensive lineman, went on TV and basically said this was a grave disrespect to the entire profession of coaching. When you hire your drinking buddy to be the head coach of an NFL football team, It is one of the most disrespectful things I've ever seen in my entire life. Bill Cowher, the Steelers head coach, essentially said the same thing. Jeff Sari talked about in his first 
press conference. The fact that he's going to use his second half as an opportunity to build his resume. I say to that, what about the assistants on the staff right now? And what I want to understand here, now that Jeff Saturday is one and one in the NFL, he beat the Las Vegas Raiders last week, lost by one to the Eagles, 17 to 16 today. What I want to understand better is what we're learning here, right? Like, how disrespected should everybody feel about what Jeff Saturday is doing as it regards to the profession, like the big picture question of what a head coach actually is supposed to be good at? First of all, I've played with... I've played for a lot of head coaches, Pablo. I've played for a lot of coordinators. I've I've, I've had large sample size to choose from through yes. my playing career. And, you know, for me, I, I think I was like everybody else. I was very much caught off guard when this first happened, right? Like, well, they, you can't do this. I didn't even think this was an option on the test, right? Like, here's a question, <laughs> and there's certain options to fill the interim head coach. They filled in an answer <laughs> that, that I didn't think was an option. And I think at this point, it's something that I think deserves debate. How many times have we seen this year in and year out? Coach gets fired midseason. They, they name some longtime assistant as the interim. They, you know, maybe they win a game or two, but then the season's over. They never get the head coaching gig and the team moves in a different direction. Right. And for me, I think posed the bigger question that I've always kind of wondered is, you know, the assistant coaching pipeline doesn't actually prepare you or identify head coaches, mm. right? Like the complete funnel of being an assistant coach really is to climb the ladder on whatever side of the ball it is that you land on as an assistant coach and work your way up to becoming a coordinator. And then from there, it's really kind of taken flyers. Like how many times have we seen really gifted X's and O coordinators, whether they be on the offensive or defensive side of the ball, just completely, completely fail as head coaches. I mean, this is something that is a completely different challenge being a head coach and honestly has very little to do with how good of an assistant coach you were from an X's and O's point of view. You really are kind of this CEO of the company. You very much have to be a leader, a leader of the locker room, a leader of the coaching staff. You really have to be able to communicate and connect with all of those people underneath you and build a common culture and direction, right? And I think being a good offensive mind or offensive coordinator, being a good defensive mind, a defensive coordinator, doesn't necessarily predict that. This is something that is, is outside of that box. We had never seen a hire like this, like fresh off the TV desk, here's this ex-player to step into this role. Was he prepared for this, right? Like, what do you actually need to do to be a head coach? And could someone like this step in and, and do it? And, and I think as the more I've brewed on this, I would argue that no, like, I think if he does have the leadership qualities, if he can be in front of a room and lead this group of people, um, bring them together, be good situationally. You're hitting on something that is more profound and bigger picture that speaks to like what the job actually is. And this is where I think I have been surprised to hear that the job of a head coach, when it's done well, is not actually an X's and O's job. It's not a scheme job. It's not that sort of a thing. Just explain in layman's terms, like what the head coach actually does compared to the coordinators who tend to become the head coaches and seemingly 
end up having to do a totally different thing. It's really managing from a much higher level, right? Like a 30,000 foot view. What do we need to do as a team collectively to try and win this week, right? And there are some very general broad perspectives in that regard. Hey, we're going to get back to running the football, right? One of our best players is, is Jonathan Taylor. We're going to feature him and get him more touches. We're going to get Matt Ryan back in here and he's going to manage the football game for us. We're going to get back to playing good defense, good special teams, targets to try and hit uh, as far as how we're going to win the football game week in and week out. And then again, communicating and delegating that to not only your coaching staff, who, like you just said, go do the actual details of this scheme and coaching, um, but to the locker room, right? You got to get them to buy in. You got to get a bunch of guys, a bunch of egos, egos from all over the country, right? To buy into this. And you have to be almost unflinching in front of the room, right? Because you're constantly putting out fires, right? People are coming to you with different problems and, and things that they're unhappy about. And you're managing all of those at the exact same time. You're kind of juggling them. But again, right, these hundred or so personalities that make up the football side, the coaches and players, right, you, you're, you're getting them all rowing in the same direction. You're, you're, you're describing a CEO in some aspect, but also a politician. You're describing a job that sounds incredibly difficult because you're managing this electorate of, 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 of people with different interests, right? Competing interests at times. And you have to be the guy who is going to put all of that into harmony. Absolutely. No, no, without a doubt. And, and certainly there's a level of, like any coach, right? You're selling this vision and, and you're promoting it and you're trying to piece it together. And then you go out there on game day and, and can you execute it, right? And then we saw, we saw them get a win last week. That is the, the Colts. And, right, and I think that then there's even another level of buy-in right? And, and now what next? Can you pivot and keep kind of continuing? And certainly the challenge that is a head coach changes week in and week out. And I think one thing that goes that we, we haven't mentioned also is the ability to deal with pressure and stress, Pablo. Like mm. uh, being a head coach is hard, right? You got to stand up there and take a lot of bullets. You got to take a lot of criticism. And I think if there's one thing we can compliment Jeff Saturday on is his ability to do that, right? He's been unflinching in front of the media, unapologetic about uh, this entire thing. And I think that's a quality that you have to have as a head coach. Yeah, yeah. Look, when you mention some of the types of coaches, the templates of coaches, uh, some names spring to mind, both good and bad, right? The tacticians, the sort of scheme geniuses, uh, allegedly, that we have seen try their hand at head coaching. Um, I think of the struggles of Josh McDaniels. And I think of the... Uh, flourishing of Mike McDaniel, right? Yep. So there are examples in either direction, but what you seem to be getting at here is a philosophy that in general, like the NFL industrial complex does not really value because so much of the electoral process, so to speak, is surfacing the guys who are like the X's and O's guys. And why, why do you think that is? Oh, I mean, I think that's a great question. I think it's exactly that, that the people making those decisions, certainly the owners that are in these and GMs that are in these interview processes are asking the wrong questions. And no question, I think you bring up a great point. Like just because you're a special teams coach doesn't mean you're going to be a good head coach and vice versa. Not that there aren't extremely gifted X's and O's coaches, right? Sean McVay, I think another great example. This is a yes. gifted, gifted X's and O's coach. But I think we'd all be lying that if we didn't 
see interviews and press conferences of Sean McVay and to understand that this guy also has incredible leadership qualities and incredible ability to communicate his points um, and his way of thinking, right? Like, I mean, he is an incredibly charismatic guy. I think it does come down to that, yeah, in these interview processes, trying to determine what actually makes a good head coach, right? And again, you're really kind of flipping the coin. Which guys can step into that role prepared, right? The Brian Dayballs of the world. Sure. That I think have been preparing for that job, that have been around some great mentors, seen it done, and, and are ready from day one to step into that role, right? And the same time, you know, certainly guys that, that Josh McDaniel, I mean, one of the best offensive minds in football. And uh, for whatever reason, I mean, just look at the numbers. I, I mean, it, it, they are what they are, right? He's, he's struggled in his opportunities as a head coach. And uh, again, that those two things have very little to do with each other. And that this assistant coach pipeline doesn't necessarily, again, help you identify or find the next good head coach. And that owners and GMs need to be asking different questions. And certainly, I think, again, to go back to this whole point, Jim Irsay and Chef Saturday, I think have raised an interesting question. Yeah, I mean, it's an experiment that is testing some of these principles, right? Like testing some of these templates that uh, that we've been clinging to. I mean, look, when it comes to coaches, right? Like there are so many ways in which owners tend to hire people that make them feel comfortable about their preconceived notions. This has manifested itself certainly in, in the racial demographics of head coaches, which are embarrassing when it comes to black coaches. But it also, to your point, also speaks to just who we think could have this skill set. Like what is, as a player, what are the things that you noticed that you wished could be screened for better when it came to the guy who is being asked to lead you? I would want to see him in front of the room, Pablo. I think you would have to simulate that as best as you can. You cannot replicate what it's like. You are the lone voice at the top leading this group of men. Uh, certainly some women at, on the assistant coaching side. Put him up there. I want to hear I want to hear you. I want to hear you talk to the room. Um, I want to see what your message is, right? What kind of football team are we going to be? What are the core values that we're going to have? How are you going to communicate those and get the guys to buy in? I would have situational stuff on there, right? I would have some very particular scenarios, right? Situationally to get them to think through what, what, um, cause I think that is a part of it, right? You, you do have to be a great leader, um, and communicator, but you also obviously have to be incredibly smart as well to be a head coach and, and problem solve. And that maybe we do need to broaden, uh, the pool, you know, that, that we're, that we're picking from. Yeah. I was thinking about this, like uh, presidential campaign. Now I just want you, uh, a judge on the American idol of NFL coaching, Alex. That's what I want. Put them all on a stage. <laughs> Give me Speak the buzzer, Pablo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Alex Smith, ESPN's most unlikely, Simon Cowell. Good to talk to you, man. Pablo, thanks as always, man. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And I'll talk to you tomorrow.